Welcome back to Baldock Live right here on 104.9 The Horn. It is a midweek movie music edition of Ball Don't Lie. That's from Patrick, inspired by a soundtrack for some reason or another. He plays songs from that soundtrack for us, and based on these selections, Harge and I are supposed to gather clues and hints that lead us to the featured film of midweek movie music. And I got to tell you, this is the banger. I still jam this song. I actually ran to this song like a week ago. It is, it's still, was it CCR, right? CCR. Yeah. Oh, man. It, it's still, even to this day, like that song still bangs. Stone still bangs. That's oh, right, still way. like this. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was yeah. a featured film, by the way, of midweek movie music, The Big Lebowski. Uh, it took us a while to get it. Uh, I got it with the first hint, first clue in the four o'clock hour. Uh, and my man, Patrick, always doing a great job for us. Broad and Horizon doing a great job DJing midweek movie music edition of Ball Don't Lie. We're off early at 6.15 for Texas baseball uh, coming up. So you uh, have Craig Way on the call. Coach Ty Harrington, I believe, is going to help him out with that. That'll be coming up at 6.15 pregame, 6.30, first pitch right here on 104.9 The Horn. Next segment, Rod's rant of the day. Uh, more discussion about me prognosticating, uh, trying to predict what the identity of the Texas football team is going to look like, uh, specifically on the offensive side of the ball. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll get into that. Talk some more Texas football coming up uh, next segment. Remember last year, uh, I you know I. I accurately predicted that two tailback sets would be something that Sark would be uh, implementing a ton of, and he didn't do it as much as I thought he should have done a lot more. But he did. He actually did uh, increase the usage because his two best players on the team, best leader and best player, Rojon, Rojo and Bijan, uh, he wanted them on the field as much as possible, and he wanted to be able to weaponize those players. So they, And we actually have some Sark audio, too. We're going to listen to his Sark talk about how he goes about trying to reinvent the offense year to year um, and what that offense, a reinvented Texas offense, could look like this season. So we'll get into that in Raj around the day. Uh, we'll talk NBA here coming up in this segment. We'll talk about the Draymond Green suspension. Uh, we'll also get into re- Previewing the games last night, previewing the matchups tonight. Uh, 512-337-3776. That is the number. To the Specs text line, and you can hit us up via Twitter as well. Harge is at Hardball Harge in the Twitterverse. Patrick Davis at It's Patrick Davis in the Twitterverse. All right, gentlemen, let's start with the big story uh, in the NBA world because uh, the Draymond Green suspension was handed down uh, late last night uh, and... It was uh, something that I think surprised a lot of people, yep. at least based on the reaction. Uh, based on the reaction, I think it, was, it surprised some people uh, because a lot of people think this may have been uh, an overreaction uh, by the NBA office. Here's a statement from the NBA uh, communications desk. says April 18, 2023, Golden State Warriors forward Draymond Green has been suspended one game without pay for stepping on the chest of Sacramento Kings. I know it just sounds weird to say. <laughs> stepping on the – they didn't say stomping. No. They just said stepping. Step. Yep. So stomping is different. Than stepping, they said stepping on the chest of Sacramento King Center, DeMontis Sabonis. It was announced today by Joe Dumars, executive vice president, uh, head basketball, head of basketball operations. Uh, yes, Texter did want us to inform everybody that it is not lost the Shakespearean irony that Joe Dumars yeah. handing down, <laughs> he's the one handing down punishments for those who are acting outside of the uh, the rules and regulations. And uh, he was one of the famous bad boys, <laughs> but he was actually probably the most conservative of the bad oh, boys for sure, right? He was probably the most moderate of the bad boys. Yep. 
I'm he, sure he, he was. He wasn't part of the all he, the scuffles. He he, he participated. Did, yeah, he was definitely. But he, in was, he was rarely the instigator, and I can't remember him being known as one of the key no. like uh, enforcers or one of the key instigators with the bad with the bad boys crew. But, no, uh, anyway, I agree with you. Uh, so anyway, Joe Dumars, he's the executive VP, head of uh, basketball operations. He's the one headed down suspension, and the reason they said the suspension was based in part on Green's history of unsportsmanlike acts. Uh, Green's actions were in response to Sabonis grabbing and holding Green's right ankle after falling to the floor. Green received a flagrant foul, too, and was ejected, and Sabonis was assessed a technical uh, foul. Uh, then it went into basically saying he's going to be suspended for Game 3. And, you know, we talked about this, guys, and, uh, you know, I, I've said it before, and we said it in different ways. Essentially, his history is coming back. And it's coming back to haunt him and even talked about here your unsportsmanlike act. So, number one, his history as a as an instigator I, has also caused this this punishment in addition to his actions in game two. But he's become, you know, as a player, he's basically become kind of typecast. I mean, they know what to expect from Draymond Green. He's he, he's, just, he's just like Jason Statham or just like Vin Diesel. When you see those guys in a movie, you know what kind of character they're going to play. When you see Draymond Green in a game, you know his bit. And he commits to the bit. Yep. And the fact that he went full-on Draymond, I think if he went 50% Draymond, if he went half Draymond, 70% Draymond, I don't think he's suspended for game three. Yep. He went full-on Draymond. All right, and we're talking about not only stomping on DeMontis Sabonis' chest. We get that. By the way, there is a report that DeMontis Sabonis has a chest contusion. Right. So he had, there is an injury that result, resulted from him mm-hmm. stepping on Sabonis' chest. But if, if he hadn't had the WWE-style taunting session where he taunts the crowd, by the way, Adam Silver, in that crowd. I was going to say, <laughs> you, you did it in the wrong audience. No, know your audience. You taunted your commissioner. Exactly. He was one of the fans you were taunting out And there. he was probably <laughs> nervous because he was like, oh my God, if they start rioting in here because he's going crazy, yeah. people giving him the double bird, him enticing him yeah. to want to come out and, and get and, after and him. And you went full on Draymond. And, you went, and then yeah. in the post game, also... Yeah, full no on remorse. Draymond. No remorse. Full on Draymond. So I think yeah. all of that combined, Adam Silver, it made his it made his decision really easy, and it made Joe Dumars' decision really easy. Well, I, I do understand where the the fans are looking at it, and I'm looking at it too. I wanted Draymond to be able to fl- play. There's th- this is kind of ridiculous because of the fact, but your credit report tells me that you have been delinquent <laughs> on a lot of your payments. Come on now. So how am I going to feel comfortable? putting you in this new home or this new car. I can't do it because I know that there will be some 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 falling back out of place mm-hmm. real quick because you have shown me that you have not made the right deposits to the positivity side of things. You may go out and do some great things in your community. Nobody knows it. You may on your even he on does. your own podcast you are pretty much bucking the system a lot of times. So you are you kind of created this, like you said, this caricature of yourself to where people are not giving you the benefit of the doubt. I believe everybody is innocent until proven guilty. But if you keep coming back with the same story, 
there's a lot of things that people are not going to believe you in. This Texas says Sabonis has a chest contusion, just like when I'm sick and call out on work, call out of work on a Friday. <laughs> uh, I got a slight cough. Yeah, Patrick, you're an NBA guy. Uh, you, you, what are your thoughts about how genuine the chest injury is for Demontis Sabonis? If he if he doesn't play, then we know it's really serious. I think he's going to play. I think he's going to play too. Yeah. Uh, I mean. And we've seen the Warriors have come out now and said that they think Sabonis is playing dirty and they think he's yep. oh, he's yeah. carrying the oh, ball yeah. out too wide to try and swing his elbows around because he's trying to hurt players. So they're trying to get their whole point in that Sabonis needs to be watched super closely. And he's going to get some more foul calls because he does play physical. And just because the Warriors don't want to play big man ball, it's that's one of those ones that's more annoying. They're like, just because you don't want to play a big man, you want to play Draymond Green at center at 6'6" doesn't mean that a big man should not be allowed to play like a big man plays because you're putting up small forwards against him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they'll be watching him tonight, too, because they're, you know. So I could see him playing limited minutes because of foul trouble and then afterwards them saying that his chest was hurting. That that could be a very easy thing that happens tonight mm-hmm. where it's just he doesn't play a ton of minutes in this game. But this – this is also, if we're not even taking Draymond and just go, Draymond, you also knew you're the first guy through the first punch in, in the NBA postseason. They know that there's a the, Grizzly, the Grizzlies are in there and the Grizzlies are apt to do something like this too. And they don't want the NBA playoffs to go into a, oh, the NBA is a thugs league now mm-hmm. because look at all these fights and all this other stuff. They don't want that narrative. Yeah, which they once had at one time. That was a narrative and out so there. so I think there's this of too of like, hey, across the league, everybody saw – we're we're not taking this lightly. We gave him a suspension for something pretty light. So if y'all get into fights and stuff, we're spinning everybody. Yep. Like we don't care. You you are not gonna get away with this behavior if if you don't like the way that something's happening, there's proper channels to deal with if you think they're grabbing and playing dirty. The proper channel is not to re- do your own retribution and then incite the crowd yeah. when I'm sitting in it. Yeah, you can't basically promote While I'm sitting in it. Yeah, you can't yeah, you can't promote enable vigilante <laughs> kind of yep. vigilanteism on Draymond's part to try to get get back at him. I love Nate. Nate says, "Don't forget, you mentioned this earlier, Patrick. Don't forget that Draymond got his ankle X-rayed because yeah. of Sabonis." <laughs> he says, "It's all BS." So he's like, "Oh, and also Nate wants you." Nate's theory, Patrick, as to why you have so many VCRs is uh, PD is. He says Patrick Davis is transferring porn. Can't give it to anyone. <laughs> that is not the case. <laughs> That was pretty good. That's a great reason to have a lot of VCRs. (laughs) That is a creepy reason to have a lot of VCRs. All right. That's true. Both. Yeah, very good. Uh, Yeah, that's a good point, though, because you brought it up earlier, Pastor. Now we have this uh, kind of public relations propaganda battle going on between the two sides about who's dirty, who started it, and uh, was the the antics by uh, Draymond Green, were they justified and that kind of stuff. I, I'll say this: I, I probably wouldn't have suspended him, just because I wouldn't have either. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't have either. Hey, yeah, you probably don't too. I wouldn't have suspended him, but I get why they did it. And honestly, Draymond Green, if he had just shown a little remorse, if he had just been a little, you know, a little contrition, yep, I do yep. think you know ultimately Adam Silver would have went. Ah, we'll just let him play. But at no point has he shown remorse at any point. No. He, he doesn't care. He's And he's basically looking, as you said, Patrick, he's looking for someone to blame other than himself. Yep. He wants to play like he's the victim in this whole thing. And maybe at one point he was. Maybe he was, but you don't get credit. <laughs> That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. You you instigate so much stuff that your your thoughts of what people perceive you to be is become, what I say yesterday, if he shows you who he is, believe him. 
And that is what he's continued to do. Now, again, I'm with majority here. You, Patrick, myself, we all believe he should be playing. People in my house believe that he should be playing. But the facts still remain when you are constantly crying wolf and then all of a sudden there's no wolf, people are tired of having to run away from you. And that's the problem that he's been dealing with the entire time. His credibility yeah. is out the and, window. And the fact that he's got a mm. podcast that he wants to promote and yes. do all this other stuff, and they go, you want to be bigger in the league? Fine. You don't get to be a part of the league anymore. How about this? Go and over I there and do a live all... podcast during Has the game. Has he actually done a podcast since the— I don't, I don't believe he's done this one because I haven't heard anything. But that's what he likes to do him is but when he's at exactly. his like, Because he's suspended, so he'll do yeah. the— Yeah, yeah. But my response, that. my response. But, but they know that's happening, too, and they go, you want to do it? Fine. You're like— we're You'll not going to feed you more and more into this because we get you care about you before you care about your team or the game. And no. we care about the game and your team before we care about you. And that's just because it, the NBA as an organization cares about itself, it cares about its owners, and then it cares about its players. Yep. And if you're going to be the instigator of that, you're going to fall really down that list of players too. Seems that way. Yeah, it is. Uh, it, yeah, it's become a huge story, and man, that's why I thought I would have let him play in Game Three. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, that's perfect. As as Longhorn and uh, Lubbock says, uh, he's an habitual line stepper. He yep. is. Yes. I love that. He, he is yes. an habitual line stepper. That is who he is, and it, it reminds me of the old, you know, parable about the uh, the the frog and the scorpion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like uh, you know the frog and the scorpion are sitting on the side of a, the pond or a lake, and the scorpion says, uh, "You know what, frog? I, I need to get across the lake." And the frog says, "Well, I would give you a ride, but you're a scorpion. You're just gonna yep. sting me, so I'm not gonna give you a ride." He's like, "Why would I sting you, frog? If I sting you, then we're both going to sink and drown, and I'll die." And the frog's like, "You know what? That's actually a really good rationale." Uh, you know what? Come on, I'll give you a ride. He gives the frog, gives the scorpion a ride on his back, and the scorpion in the middle of the damn lake, he stings him. And then this frog goes, "Why the hell did you sting me, man? Now we're both gonna die and drown." And the scorpion said, "I'm a scorpion. It's in my nature. If he shows you who he is, believe him." That's that's yeah. That, to me, that's Raymond Green. Yep, he's the scorpion. That's and exactly it's like, right. Hey, man, why y'all? Why y'all talking about? I should have grown up. I should be more mature. I'm a scorpion. Yep, this is who I am. And this and is I, how it goes I, down. I was wrong yesterday that I said his, he's a free agent. He has a player option after this year, which makes Ooh, it even creepier because it's like $26 million, $25, mm-hmm. $26 million. So I don't know if he's going to accept that he's not going to make more than that because before this season he wanted 40 mm. And so he Ooh. wants he wants way more. No one will pay him that. But he wants way more. So does he bet on himself and not take the player option and then maybe wind up going somewhere else in free agency mm. for a lot less money? That is going to be an interesting, and all this stuff's playing into it. You're like, man, you are not making yourself any money right now. That's a great point, too. Yeah, I wonder how that's going to play out uh, once the season is over. He'll end up with the Mavs somehow. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) Because the only one they can attract. He's one of those ones that every single fan base, if you go on a list of any fan site (laughs) and look up free agents to not go after, Draymond Green's number one on every single one of those lists. Especially if you got a young young star. It's like, no. But they need, need protection. Yeah. This is your guy. But see, that's is the he thing. protecting he us? No, he's, he's hurting. He's in the locker room. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was that stuff. He, you know, you do that in Sacramento where you're like, oh, I'm a tournament, and their guys are going to come over and fight me, and I'll fight five of them off, and they'll all get suspended, and we'll win this series. <laughs> and then no one fights you, and you're like, I look kind of like an idiot, didn't I? Yep. Yeah, I was out there trying to start a fight with nobody. Well, he did start a fight with Jordan Poole and punched him before the season started. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He didn't do that. Yeah, you know why? 
because Jordan Poole got that money Draymond wanted. <laughs> That's nah, a great very point. true. That is, very hey, true. Hey, you know, Jordan Poole is not playing well this postseason. Uh, so no, because he, he got, got that money. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Maybe that's why Draymond punched him. He's like, man, come on. That's my money. You are not helping at all. My money, punk. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's talk a little bit of NBA here before we get to Rod's rant of the day. Uh, yesterday, you did have uh, probably the biggest uh, game was the Clippers and the Suns, and the Suns end up with a big win to tie that series 1-1, and it was all about Devin Booker, man. He was uh, otherworldly. Uh, 38 mm-hmm. points, 18 of those in the third quarter. Uh, also, KD had a good game. KD had a great kind of well-rounded game. Filled up the stat sheet. Mm-hmm. 25.6 rebounds, 5 assists, 1 steal, 2 blocks. Uh, they end up winning and 123 to 109. And it was actually in the first half a slow start by Phoenix. Looked like the Clippers were going to replicate what they did in game one, uh, but that big third quarter and the close to the half by the Phoenix Suns really did make the difference. They end up with the big one. That is that is a huge, huge win, especially momentum-wise. You had talked about it earlier about what you saw with uh, uh, Chris Paul and Scott Forster, Foster, yeah. the referee, how yep. he was 14-0 and 0, or 0-14 with 14. him. As a as a uh, official, they broke that streak. Thank mm-hmm. goodness, thank goodness. And KD and Devin Booker, Devin Booker, when he's attacking, he is very very special. But the problem is, you have to be able to spread the floor for him because that's the way he's going to be able to attack. If you got guys that are going to try to be in the middle, like Aiton, he can't get to the rim. He's got a smooth stroke from the outside, but he also is explosive near the rim. He played really good defense last night. He was getting in the passing lanes, Mm -hmm. and he got a chance to go out there and play well. And to your point about KD, KD went out and did his thing, much needed for him to get things going because the last game was the first game that they had lost with him on the floor. Yes, That was the first loss Mm -hmm. with him on the floor uh, being able to play. So for them to go out there and do what they did yesterday was very impressive. But I will say this. The L.A. Clippers are going to be a problem because they have adjusted multiple times through the game. Mm -hmm. Whenever you see those guys being able to switch off the way that they were able to switch off, Kawhi Leonard doing what he's doing, if if Russ is going well, it's a problem for for your team. I don't even understand it because he finally had a good game. He He was being very efficient, and his team lost the game. That's the bad part for me. 28 points. Yeah, he, he was doing great. 9 of 16. Wasn't turning the ball over a thousand times. I mean, he was being aggressive. He was still talking that trash to KD. But KD was giving him the business back yesterday. And they played good basketball. But now they're getting ready to go to L.A. Let's see what happens. What, what can Phoenix do on the road when they get to L.A.? Yeah, uh, Coach Lou's done a good job with the schemes. Even mm-hmm. Phoenix and the head coach uh, Monty Williams, they've admitted yeah. in post game, like, nah, we've been we've been confused a little bit in the schemes because basically they just throw everything, the kitchen sink and everything else at them. Here's the quote from KD: He said uh, they switch their defense up like every possession. They might yep. double, they might triple, they might go zone, they might go full court press. So they're trying to throw us off with their coverages. I think we did a good job of figuring it out, just trying to play it simple. So they've been, Lou's been confusing them. Yep. Even the coach, Williams, coach Monty Williams said um, they had some weird lineups out there. This is after game one. They had some weird lineups out there, weird matchups, and we just didn't identify it fast enough on the fly. That's on me to get us in those spots to take advantage. 
You got to make those adjustments, man. And they did. They yeah. adjusted really well. I think they was just spread the floor and try to get Devin Booker isolated. Find that, yeah, find yeah. that space. Yeah, find that much. space. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, that's uh, that was also last night. Um, you had uh, you got some games tonight, and we we'll, uh, we won't get to reviewing those. Maybe we'll review those before uh, we get out of here. Uh, but also, you had the Celtics win. Celtics end up beating the Hawks. That series might be on its last leg. Yeah, definitely. It is a, the, the Hawks look the like the Hawks don't look like they're yeah, part of that game. I was gonna yet. say they don't like yeah. they they can hang right now. Uh, and the Celtics are some teams picked to win it all. Yep. Uh, so they win 119-106. They're up 2-0 in that series. Um, you also, uh, last night, had the Cavs beat uh, the New York Knicks 107-90. to And uh, that was a game that Darius Garland showed out. Ooh. 32 points. Well, he 26 in the first half. Yeah, he said basically he had been... He had been uh, basically sulking the entire uh, week because he was upset with himself after his yeah. performance in Game 1. Game 1, he didn't take a shot in the fourth quarter. Not at all. Didn't have one shot in the fourth quarter. He ends up with 32 in Game 2. That's how you're supposed to do it. That's how yeah. you come back. And he's a talented player. He's one of the Obviously. best guards in the league that just wasn't being aggressive like he used to be. And now they talked to him. They told him he needed to get out there and be aggressive. You saw uh, Jared Allen play very physical last mm-hmm. night. He was running into everybody and almost had a very, pretty ugly play with uh, Julius Randle. I saw that play happen live, and it, it didn't look good, but it was good enough because Randle did kind of land on Jared Allen's back. Man. So he didn't fall down flat on the ground. But he shouldn't have been in the game anyway. Neither one of them should have been in the game. Because, oh, because it was a blowout. Because it was a blowout. Yeah, it yeah. was. It was a, I believe it was a 20-point lead at halftime for Cleveland. They pushed that to a 29-point lead yeah. in the fourth quarter. So, yeah, it was a blowout. Donovan Mitchell, had a, he had actually a career high in assists. He had 13 assists along with 17 points. Um, and basically through three quarters, the Knicks had their second least efficient game of the season. Mm-hmm. So good defense there by Cleveland. Uh, all right, we come back. We'll get into Rod's rant of the day. Uh, what is the offensive identity? of Texas going to look like in 2023. We'll hear from Steve Sarkeesian, and also I'll give you uh, some of my projections, prognostications from Black Stradamus. Right here on Ball Don't Lie, wonderful down the horn. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. You ain't keeping it real. My God, okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. Oh, oh you've done it now. It's time for Rod's rant of the day. Hold on to your butts. All right, welcome back to Ball Don't Lie. Time for Rod's rant of the day. And I want to talk some Texas football, go behind the burnt orange curtain just a little bit, talk about the offensive identity of Texas and what it may or may not look like. And you know, first I want to play this Sark sound. He was on the Pivot podcast with you know Fred Taylor and Ryan Clark uh, and all those guys, Shannon Crowd. They do a really good job, too. Um, and he was talking about a number of different topics. One of the topics he started talking about was you know, his offensive philosophy as a coordinator, as a, an offensive mind, and, and as a play caller, of course. And I love this little tidbit. It's only like 10 seconds, but I think it's very revealing about what the offensive identity could be for Texas under Sark year to year. Here it is. I try to recreate our offense every year. I try not to just be the same. You know, who are we? What are we good at? And then let's go craft an offense that fits what those guys can do really well. Now, there is proof to back this up when he was at Alabama and Alabama had those uh, those ridiculously talented, uh, that ridiculously talented core of wide receivers. And they had four first round wide receivers on their roster at the same time with Jerry Judy and Devontae Smith, Henry Ruggs and Jalen Waddle. Uh, they came up with what they, what they call the red package. 
Uh, the red package is simply 10 personnel, which is one back, zero tight ends, four wide receivers, one running back, and oh, man, a defense that is probably having nightmares. All right, They're, I guarantee, because they know there's no way you can match up with, hell, probably even one of those guys to so match up with four first-round wide receivers is a hell of a conundrum for a defense to deal with, and that's the whole point of it, right? You want to put the defense into as much of a stressful situation as possible, and you want to do it by using and weaponizing your top prime and premium talent. And that's what Sark did at Alabama. So they used what they called their red package, where they put all those four first-round wide receivers on the, on the field. And I guarantee you, it kept a lot of defensive coordinators up nights. And remember, when he first came to Texas, uh, and even before he came to Texas, you guys know I was a big fan of two tailback sets, had been pleading with Tom Herman to run more two tailback sets. And he did actually that, well, he did, that Colorado Bowl <laughs> game. They ran, they they actually, they, they finally ran some two tailback sets. It was you know, long overdue, uh, but they basically would put like Jordan Wings in the backfield as that H position. And versus CU that year, that bowl game, they had a 21 personnel package with the H in the backfield. They ran three plays and averaged 25 yards per rush on those plays. I'm not making that up. <laughs> and I had been for years, even before that, pleading with Tom Herman, man, you should run more two tailback sets, 20 personnel or 21 personnel. And I was saying the same thing with Sark. And Sark got here because Sark inherited Bijan Robinson. He inherited Rojo. He inherited mm-hmm. some really, hell, at the time, Keontae Ingram, I don't think, had transferred just yet. They were still thinking Keontae Ingram was still on the roster. You just had a lot of talent at the running back position. And by the way, with Tashar Choice, you still were stockpiling talent at the running back position with Stan Drayton, of course, before that. But anyway, I digress. Sark actually, you know, I don't know if he was listening, but maybe great minds think alike. Uh, because Sark was trying to find a way to put his best player, Bijan Robinson, and his, his best leader, Rojo, and also one of his best players, two NFL running backs on the field at the same time. How do I get my best 11 guys on the field? And I think Sark is one of those one of those coaches. Because if I was a coach, I'd always think to myself, how do I get my best 11 guys on the field? Who are my best 11? And I will design a defense or an offensive system around my best 11 players. Right. Let me just find the best 11 first. And maybe my best 11 does have two running backs in it. Maybe my best 11 does have three wide receivers in it. Maybe my best 11 held with Alabama. It was four wide receivers at one point that were among your best 11 players. So you want to build your offensive identity around your strengths, and your strengths are your deepest and most talented positions. So last year, if you look at usage of two tailback sets, Texas was around, if you look at just 11, uh, sorry, 21 personnel, they were 11, around 11% of 21 personnel, mm-hmm. which is really good because the year before that, they were hovering around around 5 to 6% of their uh, 21 personnel snaps. So Sark did try his best to come up with packages, and he did this with Brendan Marion with the go-go offense, which also is a two-tailback set. Uh, so it helped to have him come in uh, that year, just that one year, with his go-go offense to help you weaponize those two tailbacks. They ran a lot more 21 personnel 20 personnel. Hell, they even ran some 30 personnel at times. And they put Keelan Robinson in the backfield with Rojo and with Bijan Robinson. I mean, I was titillated to see that. So my point is that Sark, there is evidence that he does look at the roster year to year and go, all right, who are my best 11 guys on offense? And if I'm not going to you know, create a specific package for them, then at least I'll layer those personnel groupings within the identity and a construct of the offense. So this year, start thinking to yourself, what could the identity be? What could it start to look like? Well, first of all, I think you're going to see less two tailback sets, less 20, less 21 personnel. Why? Well, you don't have Bijan Robinson and Rojo anymore. Mm. You're probably going to have a running back by committee for mm. the most part. And you, and I know Sarkis bragging about this style of running back. That may be tough to get this year. 
You may, may be hard to get. Now, I know if you have a featured back, you can do that, but I'm not sure any one guy is going to be that featured back. I think you may have a running back by committee, and with that being the case, you may end up you know, having a lot of different guys have different games depending on the matchup or depending on the, the game plan that week, the run game game plan that week. So I think you have my, my black strongest prediction, just like I predicted you'd have more two tailback sets last year, I think you'll have fewer two tailback sets this year. That usage will drop. It'll probably drop to, man, it may even drop to Tom Herman potential numbers. I hope it doesn't. I hope Sark keeps uh, that concept around because I still think it could help Texas, just not as much as it helped when he had Bijan and Rojo on the field at the same time. So less two, fewer two, 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 uh, two, two tailback sets. You'll have uh, less 12 personnel, in my opinion, too. 12 personnel is one back, two tight ends. Um, and basically, I don't think you have, and I know they like Gunnar Helm, but I don't think you have a true number two tight end that can be a a five-tool tight end for you in a threat. There is a drop-off with that second tight end spot, and I think that Sark may want another wide receiver on the field that can add a more lethal and explosive element rather than another tight end. And now, Sark loves 12 personnel. Matter of fact, Sark has said the tight end position is the second most important position in his offense behind quarterback. Now, I think with J.T. Sanders, that you know he can still fulfill um, you know that belief that the tight end position is the second most important position. But I think playing twelve personnel this season, um, because I think last year when he played it, he wanted to run the ball more and he wanted girth and he wanted a numbers advantage in the box. This year, you may need that, but it's not going to be a to me a true force multiplier for you because you don't have a Bijan and Rojo in the backfield. So yes, it may help you to have those numbers in the box, but it'll be a negligible advantage. Not enough for you to justify taking off an explosive wide receiver off the field. So I think this year, just because looking at and last year they had 27% of their reps were true 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends. In 2021, it was at 40%. I think this year, that drops, and it may stay at 26%. I think it may even drop a little bit lower, maybe just around 20% or so. Now, if you look at what's going to replace that, first of all, you're going to have a lot more 11 personnel, and Sark loves 11 personnel. That's his baby. Uh, 50% 11 personnel usage in 2021. Uh, you were at 42% in 2022. And the only reason you were at 42% is because he took away some of the 11 personnel snaps and gave them to the two tailback sets and the 21 personnel. And then they added what Herb Hand. Sorry, Herb Hand. I apologize. Ooh. I know a long blast time ago. From the past. I don't even know why I, don't I even went know there. If it was a blast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I apologize about that. Uh, yeah, my bad. There. I don't even know where that came from. That came yeah. out of nowhere. Uh, but anyway, uh, they've talked about Coach Sark has talked about how he really likes the six O line package, and they last year they ran the six O line package a ton around. 15% of the usage for personnel groupings were 6-0 line groupings. I call it the bully ball package. I've heard them refer to it as their Big 12 package or something like that. Uh, but either way, remember, this O-line group that they have brought in is one of the deepest that Texas ever has. As a matter of fact, if you're ranking the offensive line classes in the last five years, the 7-0 lineman that Texas signed in 2022, uh, that ends up being the uh, highest highest rated offensive line recruiting class since 2018. 
Bama and Georgia are beneath Texas in two of those rankings for 2018 and 2020 for Georgia and 2019 and 2021 for Bama. So that's the class that that 2022 Texas offensive line hall was in. And you want another way to to utilize and to, uh, you know, to make sure that you are maximizing all that talent in the O-line room will play more O-linemen. Mm-hmm. So I think this year you're going to see the six O-line package more than you saw it last year. Last year you saw, you saw it around 15%. And it was it – was, Specifically, really for Sark, they gained a run game advantage when they went six O line package. I mean, I mean it was it was not bad for your run game. You averaged five yards per rush in the run game, um, but your passing game. What Sark liked to do with the six O line package is take shots downfield mm-hmm. and use the sixth O lineman as a insulation in his pass protection. And when I found, I started looking at just the deep ball with the six O line package. Uh, I found that basically uh, out of the 14 times Sark threw it deep out of the, with the 6-0 line package, 13 of those were with play-action pass. So you're talking about 92% of the time he went play-action pass that 6-0 line package, which makes sense, right? You present power personnel packages, and you get to pivot to pass principles. And I think that's what he wants to do with that 6-0 line package. So one of my predictions this year will be they're going to run a ton more 6-0 line group. Now, you can run that, like I said, Big 12, because you'll still have JT Sanders out there. you have your two receivers out there. And what it allows Sark to do is to, to come up with more long developing routes downfield and vertical routes downfield while also protecting his quarterback. And so that's why I think you'll get a little bit more of that so he can take his shots. I um, mean, we know they're supposed to be getting better at converting some of those deep balls. So that, is, to me, is an easy prediction. Last year, they are around 5.56 yards per play. With the six O line package, the bully ball package, uh, I think you'll end up with more. Uh, a, a, I think you end up with a higher yards per play average, and I think you'll end up with more explosive plays out of the six O line package this year too. And we won't get into this a too much in this segment because we'll get into it a lot more tomorrow because I'm doing some deep dives still about it. Uh, but there's also another element that I do believe Sark is going. To, I think he's going to implement. I'm not going to say they're going to major in it. They're going to minor in it. All these things. I'm not saying that uh, Sark is going to run a ton. He's going to basically be the um, kind of the, the 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 focal point of the offense is going to be six O line. I'm saying just a fraction of your offense, uh, maybe 15 to 20 percent of your offense will be with that six O line package. So we're just talking about um, different personnel groupings, different concepts that Sark is going to combine to basically end up becoming what the offensive identity is. And all those concepts and all those personnel groupings will be based on what the strength of the team is. That's why last year, tons of two tailback sets, even though Sark in his history as a coordinator and a play caller, very few, all right, very few times did I observe him using a ton of two tailback sets. The first time it came up, uh, and when my uh, in my research of uh, researching Sark's history as a play caller was when he followed Shanahan in Atlanta uh, in 2017 as the offensive coordinator, and to transition that team from being a heavy 21 personnel grouping with a fullback, he decided to to implement a tailback and utilize a tailback uh, instead of a fullback, and it worked out really good for him. I think it was a Tevin Coleman and uh, maybe a Devontae Freeman. It was Devontae Freeman. Was Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman in backfield together, and it was that group. So that's when he started using it, and then when he came to Texas, 
you know, he just decided that Texas needed to major in that concept because they had the talent. So this year, just building on the looking at the talent that he has available to him, I do think the passing game is going to lead the way for him. Uh, tomorrow we'll get into another concept that I think is going to be really beneficial for Texas considering they're going to lead with the passing game because that's where all the weapons are. And even that 6-0 line package, like I said, most of the 6-0 line package was designed to get not to get you an extra body in the run game it was actually designed to get you an extra blocker in the pass game. Right, and I think this year that'll it'll it'll still be the same thing. I think it'll be about him getting extra blockers in the pass game. Even though they're going to run out of it too, it makes sense to run out of it. Uh, but it also makes sense that you can chunk it downfield. And we know Sark loves the deep ball. Yes, he does. The deeper, the better. Uh, all right. Uh, so we come back. We'll get into a little off the record on the other side. Uh, we'll talk about the transfer portal. Give it and it take it away. And we'll talk about uh, who is giving the most uh, in the transfer portal. All that and more right here on Ball Don't Lie. One hundred horn. All right, welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. Midweek movie and music edition of Ball Don't Lie when Patrick takes songs from a soundtrack, plays those jams for us, and based on the selections that are played, Harge and I are supposed to gather clues that lead us to the featured film of Midweek Movie Music. And today, uh, the featured film is The Big Lebowski. CB, one of our uh, you know fav- day one listeners, says that, uh, never been a fan of Big Lebowski. Doesn't get it. Doesn't like it. It's okay, TV. You know, sometimes some comedies just they're they're not for the masses. They're not for everybody. And I'm like that too. I don't like I, what what uh, Caddyshack. I don't. I never really got into Caddyshack. It's one of those comedies I don't get. That's iconic. That everybody loves. Oh, Step Brothers. I, I've never laughed out loud once in Step Brothers. I've watched it like three times. What? Never, I never laughed out loud. Always, I, I smirk, I grin. You're like, huh. I go, huh, that's funny. <laughs> I, you know, you know, I know it's not funny because I say that's funny during the movie. <laughs> during the movie, I say that was funny. You know, something's not. You know, something's not funny. You go, that's funny. That's, that's why I, I say that during the movie instead of actually laughing. So it's just one of the movies I don't get. It's like Mila Kunis, one of those things that everybody loves that I'm just not into, so I get it. So don't feel bad about that, CB. You don't have to get Big Lebowski. It is a weird comedy, too, by the way. Yeah. Strange comedy. Do you like Big Lebowski? I I didn't even want to go there with y'all. Oh, hard. just never seen it. That's exactly wow. right. Wow. He was exactly trying right. try to, try to, try to get through the whole show. I was trying to get through the whole show without even saying That's anything. That's a violation. <laughs> you weren't unwilling to share. I wasn't saying nothing. You didn't want to share? No, wasn't going to do it because I didn't want to be a part of the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the I don't get it. You I don't almost be, got through I the whole I was, show. I was like, man, we're getting close. Okay, like 20 minutes yeah. left. That's y'all was made through the whole thing. Good for you. Yeah, well yeah, done. Yeah. That was smooth, I was man. Like, huh, yeah. Smooth. I You're like, Rod bro- I said, Rod broke it down. That'll be <laughs> Rod. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, I, you know what? Do, should he watch it, Patrick? He should watch it, shouldn't he? Yeah. I've seen it. Big, oh, like, you, I've gone, oh, you've seen it? No, 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 no. I'm saying I've seen it on my TV. Oh, okay. Just never put the time in to actually Watch it and break it down. I don't know if wifey will like it. No, I, I, that's one of those that's ones that if you're that's just kind of, you know, if you're having an altered evening. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's a good one you, for that. You. It's a good just kind of chill out and yeah. enjoy yeah. something that's kind of weirder. and different. But, like, it is. The, the reason I'm doing it is 420 tomorrow. It's a stoner comedy. Yep, yep. 
That's why I said wifey may not get it. Yeah, so it's, it's in that world. Um, if you're true. ever feeling for that, then it's something fun to watch. But yeah. That's a yep. good point. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So I, I, I don't know if I'd recommend you. You got to watch it. I don't know if it's one of those movies. Uh, someone says, I've never seen Napoleon Dynamite and don't care to either. Also, another one of those comedies. That, that you did not? Either people really like or they don't like. I, I, I laughed during Napoleon Dynamite. I did. Okay. It doesn't age well to me. It's like over. Like if I, I, I can't, I don't you laugh. You can't go back and watch it I don't it now. laugh at it now when yeah. I see those same scenes. No, I, I think that doesn't age well of like, I don't even know if it's time so much as like, if you're not a kid, that's not as funny anymore. It could be that, yeah. Because it, was, it yeah. just seems like a movie like, well, when you're young, you think like, oh, that's, but you don't, you don't associate with your own youth. I agree with this. It's a weird. No, no, I'm with you yeah, on that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah you got to outgrow it. Yeah, yeah. You outgrow them. I agree with that. Yep, yep. Uh, okay, real quick. Uh, Transfer Portal uh, news because ON3 has a great uh, website where they keep up with the Transfer Portal. And they actually have kept up with the the programs with the most attrition via the Transfer Portal. Mm-hmm. And they also keep up with the acquisitions via the Transfer Portal. Guys, the Aggies have had uh, this. They're basing this on the Transfer Portal season, like last offseason, included 30, now 30. 30. Transfer portal, uh, yeah, departures. Think about that. In 30. This, in this cycle yeah. of the transfer portal. That is the most, by the way, in college football. Arkansas is second with 28. By the way, the Aggies have had five acquisitions. Uh, Arkansas is second with 28. 13 acquisitions for them. They've had 28 departures. Uh, Ole Miss and Colorado, both with 26. So, D- How about this? Dion is the only, only school that has had at least 20 departures. That has had more acquisitions than departures. They've had 26 departures, 28 acquisitions via the transfer portal. We come. (laughs) Ole Miss, 26 departures, 14 acquisitions. Uh, And then Arizona State and Oregon, 25 departures each. But actually, I take that back. Arizona State, too, is in the same category with Dion. They've had 27 acquisitions. So two schools with at least 20 departures have had more acquisitions than departures. And, man, Pac-12, people leaving the Pac-12. That's crazy. Uh, and then Texas. You they don't even t- have a TV network. That's why they leave. you damn right. <laughs> Dion, and Dion might be leaving, too. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Dion might be out there, too. Uh, but if you're looking at uh, just uh, these schools uh, here, but like I said, A&M is 30. Uh, TCU is 18. They got seven acquisitions coming in uh u of h that's another big 12 school u of h is at 20 departures with 17 acquisitions uh as well and so my point is that for for those looking at texas and saying oh man texas may have a lot of attrition everybody has attrition these days it's it's something that's unavoidable everybody's gonna have those high numbers and and honestly it's almost more money more problems this is part of you turning over your roster and upgrading your roster every year uh texas by the way at 21 uh, uh, departures and five acquisitions for them. All right, we come right back. We'll uh, have our last segment and wrap it up. Put it in the oven. Talk some Bijan Robinson and some Trey Lance. All of that and more right here on Ball Don't Lie. Wonderful nine one. Ball don't lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. Uh, last segment of the show, midweek movie music edition of Ball Don't Lie on 104.9 The Horn. That's when Patrick takes songs from a soundtrack that inspired him, plays those songs for us, and based on these selections, Harge and I are supposed to gather clues and hints that lead us to the featured film of midweek movie music. And today, 
It's all oh, it's and Harge has not seen the Big Lebowski, oh, but not. it is the Big Lebowski, and he tried, he tried his best <laughs> to get one over on us and go the whole well, not the whole show, but damn near the whole show, three three plus hours, <laughs> and not reveal that he has yet to see the Big Lebowski. That's, that's very true. And we did have a text. Female listener number one makes a good point. She said it's one to watch, so uh, for the pop culture references, they'll make more sense to you. Okay. That's a good point. There are okay, a lot of random pop culture references from the Big Lebowski thrown out there. I mean, just the dude in general. The it whole, is right, the dude in general. That's he's true. kind of he's kind of like a Matthew McConaughey esque character. Oh, no doubt. Of you'll have that stuff and you'll be like, oh, I get that more about him. Yep. just in general. Uh, I agree with that one hundred percent. Someone says, yeah, talking. So Master Gardener says Groundhog Day sucks. Talking about uh. random comedies that you just don't get. Mm-hmm. See, you ain't got to get all the random comedies. Okay, yep. you got to get them all. Uh, you ain't got to get them all. It's all right. But Big Lebowski, uh, for a lot of people, is considered an iconic comedy. All right, before we get out of here, I want to talk a couple of uh, about NFL topics. Maybe we just got time for one NFL topic. We can get to the others tomorrow because they're draft day related topics. But there's this Trey Land story out here, gentlemen. And usually we're not talking about, you know, West Coast football stories, but it's got a a connection, all right, to the Houston Texans and actually to the to the, to the actually the the former Love Your Blue Oilers as well, yep, the Tennessee yep. Titans. So the latest, and I got it from Ian Rappaport and Pro Football Talk has it as well, but I believe Ian Rappaport was the first one to throw this out there. So he tweeted sources, the 49ers have received inquiries from several teams looking into a potential trade for number 3 pick quarterback Trey Lance. The conversations have been the result of San Fran fielding the calls, not making them, by the way, fielding the calls with teams aware that Brock Purdy is likely the future starter for the 49ers. I'll give my man Patrick some credit because about a month ago, he threw out, hypothesized the theory that the Texans may not go quarterback at number two. Since then, several other draft analysts and insiders have also kind of gone, jumped on this bandwagon, Adam Schefter being one, Lance Zerline being one, uh, Peter King even hearing saying that he has sources hearing the Texans may not go quarterback at two. Now, most people find this unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Even Ian Rappaport actually was on Pat McAfee, and he basically in, uh, hinted that nobody really knows what the Texans are going to do. They've been so tight-lipped, there's not a lot coming out from the Texans organization, which is a good thing, by the way. That yep, means yep. that you can keep a secret within your organization. But the Kim Kardashian, Nicki Minaj, Serena Williams, size, Cardi B size, making the stallion size. But here is maybe Patrick's right. Maybe they don't go quarterback at two because they trade for a quarterback. And you, you basically now have in Houston a lot of that San Francisco 49ers regime that know Trey Lance really well. DeMar- D'Amico Ryans, Bobby Slowick. Mm-hmm. And Trey Lance is someone you can trade for who probably already knows a lot of what you're going to run. That's what he said. Familiarity on both both sides. Yes. So if you trade for him when he's healthy, he's walking into already I know a lot of the plays. Now, also, this has been floated around. Now, by the way, this has not been confirmed by any true insiders yet, but it is floating around H-Town in the rumor mill. And by the way, the GM, I forget his name, the new GM of the Tennessee Titans, also from the 49ers organization. Dang, 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 dang. That was about to be my next point because it just came across that pay attention to the uh, Tennessee Titans because mm-hmm. they've kind of worn – he's worn out their welcome with uh, – Oh, Tannehill. Yeah, Tannehill. And Malik Willis showed that 
he ain't even close to being ready to play in the NFL. No. So they're like, well, and, you know, they're trying to be a new organization, too, because they're talking about getting away from Derrick Henry as well. So this might be one of those games, too, that everybody's playing now because there's so many former yeah. 49ers. Executives that are all around. over the league. That's right. And, and you look at what the price is for Aaron Rodgers and the New York Jets. Exactly. The 49ers could be like, hey, man, if you give us what, what the Jets, what the for, what the Packers want for Aaron Rodgers, maybe we'll just give Trey Lance over to you. We'll take those picks, send them on over to the 49 to the Packers. Yeah. Maybe we'll have our quarterback while Brock Purdy gets ready to be our starter. That's a, that's a great point, he's coming man. off of that injury. This is not the last we're going to hear about this story, man, because yep. this thing's got a lot of layers. Uh, all right, gentlemen, great job today. I want to thank Patrick. I want to thank my man, Harge. Uh, I want to thank Sam Khan for coming on with us as well. I thank all of you guys out there for listening and participating. Remember, the revolution will not be televised. We'll be talking about it right here on Ball Don't Lie. We love you guys. We mean that. Take care of yourselves, but more importantly, take care of each other. Craig Way, the voice of the Longhorns, and Coach Ty Harrington coming up next with Texas Baseball. Don't go anywhere. Peace.